Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon, and this is part three of our summer special. It's a bit like the Godfather trilogy. The last one of those was no good either. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. I'm joking, of course, because this is uh, our fan special. And uh, I asked a few weeks ago for people to email in with just suggestions for improvements, um, constructive criticism, what is the experience of attending snooker tournaments, what's frustrating about it, what could be improved, what do you like, what don't you like. And we've had uh, quite a few replies, so that's going to be the meat of uh, today's podcast. And hopefully, you know, these ideas, after all, coming from the people who put their own money into coming to tournaments and support the events, hopefully some of these comments will be taken on board and uh, there will be improvements made across the season. That's the idea behind it. It's uh, The key word is constructive, really. You know, it'd be just nice to hear people's ideas and opinions about how to improve the, uh, the business of attending tournaments. We're going to start with one of the great fans of snooker, Kelly Barker. Now, last year we had uh, uh, three fans on the podcast um, talking about their own personal experience. Kelly was one of them. So this is what uh, she says now. She says, I thought I'd email in about the fan experience. After being a guest on your fan special last year, I maybe felt I was a bit too negative. Attending the events has always been very enjoyable, and I look forward to it every time I go. Just to jump in there, Kelly, I don't think you were too negative. You were just speaking from your, your own perspective, and, you know, you've been going enough years now and to enough tournaments where you've earned the right to do that. Anyway, Kelly continues, I think World Snooker Tour are trying to make it a better experience, and I thought the extra efforts made at York, where you could watch the players practice, was all a positive. One negative, though, was the issue with the cushions at the start of last season. They were giving them out at the early events free of charge. Great. We were then asked if we would be willing to pay to borrow these cushions at future events. People must have given negative responses, as the cushions were never seen again. Just seemed like more money-grabbing when surely the cost of the ticket should guarantee a comfy seat. Also, one thing I would like to see regarding tickets. It's not necessarily a free ticket for attending plenty. That was my idea last year, just jumping in there. I, 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 not, not, not last year, last week. Or last time. Uh, I suggested that if you buy a certain number of tickets as a loyalty sort of bonus, you maybe got, got one free. Anyway, Kelly says... Um, not necessarily a free ticket, but maybe some sort of guaranteed place in the queue after booking loads the previous year. I'm thinking especially of Sheffield. 
Having attended 15 of the 17 days this year and planning to do so the same next year, the mad scramble for tickets is in the lap of the gods whether you get any. Between three of us being online the second they went on sale, between us we got most of what we wanted. Six sessions were sold out though before we could get them and I'll have to look for returns nearer the time. Without being unfair to others who want to go, could there be some sort of loyalty scheme where you're guaranteed a slot to book your tickets if you booked loads last year? I save up all year giving up doing some other things to make sure I can afford Sheffield with no guarantee I can get the sessions I want. Just seems to be no loyalty to the long-serving fans these days. Thank you, Kelly. I wondered if... Um, I mean, again, this, this would be more expense. But if you could pay to be part of some sort of priority club, say you have to pay, I don't know, I'm, I'm literally plucking the figure out of the air, but you pay 50 quid a year, and that means you do get priority. When the tickets go on sale, you get the first pick. It, would that work out cheaper in the end and more preferable to, as you, as you say, the mass scramble? I understand people don't particularly want to pay more money, but that may be an option. And, and say, let's say a thousand people sign up for that privilege. The World Snooker Tour make 50 grand, don't they? I mean, that seems simple maths. So maybe that's something that they could do. Um, you know, you, you're paying for the privilege. It'd be like priority boarding, you know, in, 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 a, in an airport. You know, you get, you get to sort of jump the queue. Maybe that's something they could look into. Anyway, Fionn Lynch, uh, I'm writing, oh, by the way, on the, um, on the seats, it's interesting. I've heard quite a few people talk about some of the venues, the seats are not very comfortable. And of course, it's not something a lot of us think about. You look at Alexandra Palace. I'm always surprised when I hear criticism of the Masters as a, as a ticket buying and attending event because it looks great on telly. But of course, when you're watching on telly, you're not actually sat there. And a lot of people said the seating's not comfortable. This business with the cushions, you know, it's a little bit rum, I think, to offer it for free and then withdraw it. You know, it's sort of dangle the carrot and then say you've got to pay for it. You're quite right. You should you should be, if you paid your money, you should be entitled to a comfortable seat. I think that's the very least you should be entitled to. Anyway, Fionn Lynch, I'm writing this email to tell you about some of the suggestions I have to help improve the game. But first, I must pick you up on something you said in your last podcast, where you said World Snooker Tour should do a short podcast rounding up the week's snooker and previewing the next matches. They do, it's called the 147, and they release it every Tuesday of the season. Well, just to jump in, Fionn, that's not quite what I said. What I was arguing for was, for example, at the Masters, um, doing a podcast or some sort of YouTube roundup or something each morning. So on a morning commute, people can watch a 10-minute roundup, the best shots of the day, you know, press conference clips, maybe a preview of the next day, every day during a tournament. You mentioned this weekly thing, uh, the 147. You're quite right, that has been running for a while. It's not quite what I was referring to. I actually personally think that's a bit of a waste of time because it's so much after the fact. I'm talking about previewing each day during an event. Obviously, by Tuesday, that tournament's finished and the next one's probably started. Uh, anyway, but thank you for raising that. Fionn continues, My suggestion is to raise the main camera to show the table better. It's currently very shallow and makes it difficult to see if shots are on or if a player is snookered or not. I'm aware that, that it is this shallow, so the title sponsor is in view in this angle but you could easily raise the camera and just pan up slightly to show the sponsor board. Well, that's a kind of minefield, really, because there's, there's certain sort of broadcasting stipulations in the contracts about, you know, exactly what you what signage you could see, and, and obviously the, 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 the sponsors put money in based on how many sort of you know times you can see their name around the around the board. So I suspect that won't be changing. But thank you anyway, Ian McCohen. Hi, Dave. My main concern is not now. This is. I've heard this a lot, actually, from from people who've emailed in and on Dean on Twitter. My main concern is not enough merchandise. 
I tried to buy the shootout polo as I loved them. Uh, I asked players for theirs to no avail. But £50 to buy at the end of season, it's £30 to buy at the moment, which is so expensive in my in my words. Also events, you can hardly get the order of play anymore. When going to new tournaments, World Snooker Tour, don't mention parking and hotels. We have to look. I don't mind, but they should help out a little bit. I do also wish tournaments have a sustainable venue, not keep changing year by year. Also, seating for priority people and invisible disabilities need looking at, and more comfortable seating. There we are again, same thing about the seats. Uh, also, regarding the shootout polos, I wish we could add our own name and number when we can buy. This seems to me to be, Ian, you've stumbled on something here, well, not stumbled on it, you've, <laughs> you've emailed in about it, it's quite, quite important. In virtually every other sport you can name, you can buy clothing associated with that sport that you can wear. Football is the obvious one, football shirts. But even, you know, any any sport, really. You can buy uh, clothing that is associated with that sport, associated with certain players, and you can show that you're a fan of them by wearing them. Without sort of raising the old dress code um, argument again, because it's never been one I've been particularly interested in. But in snooker, you basically can't do that. They wear waistcoats. They don't wear particularly, apart from Barry Pinches, maybe with the Norwich City, they don't particularly wear waistcoats that are that distinguishable from one another. So if you're a fan of, let's say, Neil Robertson, how do you show that you're a fan of his in terms of what you wear? You can't. There's nothing, (laughs) apart from dyeing your hair blonde, there's not really anything you can do. The shootout is an opportunity, I think, um, to buy shirts that are bear the name of the players who play in it. Um, the champion of champions have gone down that route, I think, precisely because they see a, an opportunity here to sell merchandise. You can buy a Ronnie O'Sullivan T-shirt because it will have his icon on the back and his name, or not his name, but anyway, the, the, the sort of logo, the rocket logo. Um, this is a whole area that is completely uh, underused, uh, the idea of, of merchandise that you can wear, that you can associate with players. You sometimes see in the crowd... People wearing T-shirts that have that are something to do with players, but they very often have just been bought off Amazon or something, and nothing to do with actually with the tournament or the players. It's just some an idea someone else has had, and they're, they're selling them. Uh, obviously, Ronnie O'Sullivan does have a, a clothing range, but you know this is it's merchandise is definitely an area that needs to be looked at because it's pretty sorrow. Uh, sorry, it's pretty you know lacking. Um, you go to major sporting events, you usually get an array of things you can buy. At the snooker, there's very little. And we had an email a couple of weeks ago from someone who said that he'd looked into it. And the World Championship trophy is not trademarked. So, you know, World Snooker Tour could, if they trademarked it, could sell, for example, a pin badge that is the World Championship trophy or a key ring or whatever. Put it on whatever you want. You know, they, 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 they make a lot of fuss about the Triple Crown. Why isn't there any Triple Crown merchandise that you can buy? You know, there's massive opportunity in these areas that's completely underutilised. Um, the merchandise at tournaments is not very good. The only tournament I've been to where you couldn't say that, I think, is the German Masters, where actually they do have a lot of stuff that they seem to themselves are manufactured, and it does a roaring trade. Um, but uh, World Snooker Tour don't do that, and it seems to me an income stream that is waiting to be sort of tapped into. Uh James Howard writes, just a few ideas that, in my opinion, could help in improving the game. As I'm predominantly a TV fan, these are mainly geared towards the watching side of things and the lack of variety in the game. So apologies if I've misunderstood. I don't think you've misunderstood, James. You can write about whatever you want, really. (laughs) Uh, It's just a podcast. 
Anyway, first of all, I'd like to have more variety in players who are seen on the TV table. While I, like any fan, enjoy nothing more than seeing the top guys, it would be nice to have a bit more variety on the TV tables instead of the same faces every tournament. I understand it's down to the broadcaster wanting the top guy, so I get so I get nothing is ever likely to change, despite the benefits. I think it could give them the game in the long term. Well, just on that, I suppose, you know, who is going to say, let's say Ronnie O'Sullivan is playing, I'm going to pick a name out of the air here, uh, Robbie Williams, OK? Now, who's going to say to Ronnie, OK, it's a match you'll probably win, there's nothing against Robbie, but, you know, that's just a fact he probably will because he probably beat most players. We're not going to put you on telly. We're going to put uh, Ben Mertens on because he's a new player and, you know, he's from Belgium and they've got the world champion. And he's playing, let's say, uh, Jusser, OK? What is the justification for that, really, when you boil it down? The TV company know that more people would like to watch Ronnie O'Sullivan. So it might be fair to share the TV tables around. But as you, you yourself say, it would be a bit of a minefield. Of course, the, the beauty of streaming now, and uh, you know, I'm not here to bang the drum for Discovery+, Plus, but the fact is you can watch all four tables on there. So you can actually choose who to watch. But obviously the, the main table is what most people will watch. I don't disagree with that. I think there'd be more variety. I think sometimes there's too much of a case of let's look at who the highest-ranked player is and just put them on without actually thinking about anything else. And that happens a lot. It happened at the qualifying, and it doesn't really take into account, actually, sometimes what the most interesting matches are. Uh, I've jumped in there to interrupt James. Let's, let's, uh, let's pick it up. He says, apart from a few tournaments in the season, most events follow the same format, which is usually a seeded draw, best of seven up to the final. I think it would be nice to maybe have a few more flat draws, which aren't always so in favour of the top guys. Well, uh, well, just to pick you up on that, most tournaments are not um, best of seven up to the final. Uh, in fact, I can't think of any that are. <laughs> Literally not one. Um, quite a few tournaments have best of sevens in the early rounds, like the home nations, but then quarterfinals best of nine, semis best of 11. Um, so it's not really true that most tournaments are best of seven up to the final. Um, you know, they're just not. Uh while the continuing here, while the mixed doubles was a big hit and bit hit and miss last year in terms of fluidity and standard at times, the tournament itself was a big success. And despite its madness, the shootout is always a massive success. I'm certainly not suggesting another shootout event. However, you could do a few more league-based tournaments, almost football champions league style, where you have four players in a group, both play each other twice, which the top two go through to the quarterfinal. Something along those lines. My last point is one that I believe you've touched on, which is the promotion of the game in general. I'm always hearing about how badly, if at all, events are advertised. And barring the BBC events, there doesn't seem to be a lot going into pushing the game for the rest of the season. They could certainly do a lot more to promote tournaments via social media and other platforms. These are just my humble personal opinions. Warm thoughts as always. I look forward to hearing yourself and Neil for no doubt another thrilling season of snooker. Well, thank you. Uh, that's James Howard. I mean, I, I don't quite agree that tournaments aren't, aren't promoted at all. They are promoted. Um, I, I, a lot of money is spent on them. But... The fact is, we went to Hull for the first time on the World Snooker Tour over the Tour Championship last season. And on the ground, I mean, I walked from the hotel to the venue 10 minutes and you don't pass any any sign the event's on. So although I'm sure on local radio and, you know, sort of media spend was quite high promoting it, on the ground in Hull, people didn't seem to know that event was on. So maybe more could be done literally on the ground you know, telling people in the shopping centre, in areas where people go, snooker clubs, I don't know why we don't do deals with snooker clubs, you know, get their members along on a discount. Um, well, snooker tour have done good work with schools, really good work. They're taking players into schools. 
they're giving demonstrations, they're talking about the game, and then the kids get to come and watch an afternoon of snooker. And that's been a really good initiative, and it seems to work really well, despite a couple of players pulling out at the last minute. Um, but thankfully, the other player stepped in and, and did, did a good job to just show people, show kids at school, you know, that the sport and what benefits of the sport are, and then they can come along and, and, and watch it. So that's all been good. Social media, I think, um, obviously is a very important tool. I think Will Snooker Tour do a lot of um, promotion on social media. Um, the problem with it really is, it can, as we all know, it can just get lost in the general fog of other stuff that people look at. Um, so how do you make it sort of stand out? It's difficult, I think. I don't, I don't think that's easy. Um, but I, I wouldn't criticise them for not um, promoting tournaments on there in advance. I think... As I mentioned earlier, with the idea of doing a sort of daily roundup, you have to then continue to do it once the tournament's on. You can't just leave it. You have to continue to push it and continue to provide information about who's playing, when they're playing, because that can be difficult for people to find out. Um, yeah, and, and try and make it as distinctive as possible. But as I say, you know, there's so much of it, uh, so much general digital media. It's quite hard to make it stand out. Um, but anyway, thank you for your comments. Next up, James Ellison. Fan loyalty is an interesting topic, as I'm sure some fans could write a book on this, yet I couldn't say with any de degree of confidence that I know what Will Snooker Tour's view of fan loyalty is. That's not being derogatory, I just don't know if we ever hear a great deal about their views on the people sitting on the seats. Whilst any fan loyalty is likely to come at a cost for the powers that be, I think there are at least subtle schemes or partnerships that could be brokered to give that little extra incentive to the fans. Take the Triple Crown events as examples. For someone who lives in Cheshire, part of the enjoyment of going to these events is to at least try and enjoy a solid two or three days' worth of these great queuists, or in Sheffield's case, usually ending up to ten days. So that's a lot of driving back and forth across the Pennines in my case, which of course means I mitigate doing that by booking accommodation, as is the case for London and York. If World Snooker Tour offered a promo code at least, that meant after booking your ticket for the event, you could get a 10 or 15% discount on local hotels, car parks, restaurants, dare I say official online merchandise. Perhaps not for the merchandise when you're at an event as everyone has a ticket at that point, but you know what I mean. I would at least choose to eat, park and stay somewhere I knew was snooker. Uh, I knew that was snooker was at least trying to tip their hat to an understanding that people have likely travelled from afar, from far and wide. I'm not reading this out very well. I'll start again. I would at least choose to... We'll edit this, don't worry, it won't go out. Uh, I, I would at least choose to eat, park and stay somewhere I knew was snooker, was at least trying to tip their hat to an understanding that people have likely travelled from far and wide to be the ones that try and create the atmosphere for the players to shine in. As a side note, in the absence of any fan loyalty action, I'd at least enjoy some fan acknowledgement. By this I mean it'd be great to be able to get some form of printout of my back catalogue of tickets purchased over the years, not to top up the costs, more to recollect myself of how many tournaments I've attended and enjoyed over the years. Could at least the uh, could at least the names and years of the events attended be intertwined as watermarks on pages of some form of personalised WST notebook, autograph book, or any book, or anything for that matter. Even charge me for the privilege of buying it. But something personalised and a nod to my ticket history might be a nice idea, is my main point here. Well, thank you, James. Um, you make a good point, I think, on the, uh, on the sort of idea of discounts for, for restaurants and hotels I've said before, I mean I said last year actually on the, on the fan special, to me if you're marketing a tournament you should market the area as well, we, we've got a tournament in Edinburgh which is a beautiful city, I know it well we're going to the fridge every year, there's so many things to do there while you're there watching the snooker and it seems to me if you're trying to persuade people to go to 
a tournament. Talk about the place as well. Talk about, yeah, what are the hotels, where are the restaurants, you know, what is there to do maybe during the morning when there's no play as a sort of tourist thing. And to be fair, World Snooker Tour did do that last year with Clandidno. I think it was last year. They filmed a video. Rob Walker went there showing the things you can do in Clandidno. And I, I think that's exactly what they should be doing. Now, let's be clear. There are some places we go to, not naming any names, where there are fewer things to do, I think it's fair to say. But certainly help people... Yeah, point them towards hotels, restaurants. Do try and do a deal with, you know, the local Indian restaurant, whatever it is. You'll show your snooker ticket twenty percent off, whatever it is, just to incentivise people and make them feel that there's, you know, money's tight. Okay, when it's a cost of living crisis, prices are going up, inflation is going up, you know, people's mortgages are going up. People have less money to spend right now than they did a few years ago, so they're going to prioritise what they spend it on. And if we want them to spend it on snooker, we have to think of these ways to persuade them, rather than just saying, the tournament's on there next Monday, please come along. That ain't going to cut it, OK? We need to uh, add value by, yes, by uh, increasing the things that they can spend money on if they do come, but also helping them by saying, OK, we've got a discount at this hotel, we've got a discount at this restaurant. So all these ideas are good. And um, they may well uh, help to increase the number of people who actually will come. If you're considering coming to a snooker tournament and you're, you're not sure quite what it's going to cost you beyond the ticket, you know, because you're not sure about the area, you're not sure about the cost of food in the area, hotels in the area, then you might not come. And therefore, snooker is missing out, you know, on the, on the money that you could spend. Jennifer Best, uh, we're not this week saving the best for last <laughs> because there's more to come out of this one anyway. Uh, small joke there, but anyway, we'll continue. Jennifer Best, in response to your request for ideas for your fan special, here's some of my thoughts. I've tried to keep it brief, so I've not really gone into my reasonings that much, other than on one point, which I feel needed a bit more explanation. So point one, let the Crucible have a merchandise shop outside for fans to browse when not in the Crucible. Ronnie's shop was way more accessible than the WST stand inside. Just to say there, for those of you who were not in Sheffield this year, Ronnie O'Sullivan had a shop it was literally, I mean, I could throw a stone from the crucible to hit it. So it was literally a stone's throw just in the little alleyway um, outside. Um, and he sold merchandise associated, associated with him. And, and I suppose the, the question is, why can't Will Snooker have something like that? Um, so it seems a good idea to me. Point two, in general, have more varied merchandise. Wasn't the talk of the Champion of Champions logos being used at one point? Last year's are excellent. I'd buy a hoodie or a sweatshirt with those logos, but I wouldn't buy a black polo shirt with WST on it. Or, God forbid, a pink one for the ladies. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I was saying earlier about the, the potential for merchandise linked to the players. Uh, point three, make merchandise more readily available online, e.g. through Amazon. I've only seen one slightly dodgy-looking website that doesn't even seem to have much on it. Yeah. Yes, I mean, the, the merchandise situation, you know, just isn't good enough, is it? You know, that's, that's just it. I think we've, I think most people can agree with that. Uh, point four, clearer signage showing which table is which at multi-table events. Table one is obvious, the other's less so. Next point, in the two-table setup at the Crucible, have monitors that show the score, or preferably the action on the other table, that can be seen in different parts of the arena. The scores can only be seen in certain parts of the seating. This might discourage people from... Uh, footering around with phones. Now, footering is not a word I've ever seen before, but I'm, I'm pleased to welcome it to the podcast. Uh, Jennifer's next point, bring back make or break and include one of the female players. Uh, just jumping in, make or break was uh, a very good documentary series that Will Snooker Tour did on YouTube. It followed six young, they were all male players, although I think at the time there were no women on the circuit. Uh, Alan McManus narrated it superbly, as you'd expect. 
it was very nicely done. Uh, it was a little bit erratically produced. It seemed, from memory, it seemed there were quite a few episodes early season, then it disappeared, then it sort of came back at the end of the season. But as a concept, it was good and it was well executed. So something like that um, would be good. The problem, I think, uh, that they have is that they, ha- they don't have that many people you know, who are able to put that together. They have to spend time doing other things. So it's whether they could actually devote the time to it. But as a concept, there was nothing wrong with it. Uh, Jennifer continues, the Championship League would really benefit from an audience, even for just the final stages. Well, on that, I mean, I, I work on the Championship League. Um, it's never had an audience. It was it was conceived initially uh, for the invitation version as, a, as something for betting companies to show before it was on TV or anything like that, or streaming. And, of course, the concern was if people come along to watch, they'll be ahead of the stream, um, and so there'll be a degree of manipulation. Now, to be fair, that's true of every event anyway. But that's the reason, um, and it's kind of never gone away. Jennifer continues, the geographical spread of tournaments needs to improve if WST wants to widen appeal, not just abroad, but also in the UK. I'm saying this because there's an obvious paucity of events in the north of the UK mainland, but yet there are certain areas where events tend to cluster. I'm probably biased because I'm in Glasgow, but I've tried to look at this objectively. If my calculations are correct, in 23-24, there'll be 62 days of snooker in Yorkshire that fans can attend compared to seven in Scotland. Or to push, push the point, seven days north of York, which isn't really that far north. I know you want suggestions rather than moans, so here's my suggestion. Move the World Championship qualifiers away from Sheffield. I'd love to go to Judgment Day, but I've got tickets from the middle weekend at the Crucible. Being realistic, I'm not going to take annual leave, do the journey from Glasgow to Sheffield, and stump up the associated cash twice in the space of a fortnight to go to the same city. I know there are some very dedicated fans who might, but I would imagine they're the exception rather than the rule. This isn't a case of FOMO. That's fear of missing out, by the way, if you're, if you're over the age of, I don't know, 50. Uh, well, it partly is, but keeping to what is, from my perspective, quite a tight geographical area isn't going to help attendance. Look at Hull last season. I thought about going, but as I was going to the Crucible, I decided against it. I'm not that precious that I expect a tournament on my doorstep, but what about Newcastle or Sunderland? Just somewhere different to make travelling worthwhile. I'm guessing locations suit the broadcasters and players, although not the Scottish ones, but this is a fan special... And from a fan's point of view, it makes no sense. Um, I think, Jennifer, that I'm pretty sure that the contract with Sheffield to host the World Championship it, uh, states that the whole tournament has to be in Sheffield, including the qualifiers. So I believe that that is why they are there. I mean, even in COVID times, you may recall, everything was in Milton Keynes, but the qualifiers for the World Championship in that summer were still in Sheffield. We had to, <laughs> I was there. We had to um, stay in a hotel, and it was a strict bubble. So you had to get basically in the hotel... You got tested, and then to get to the venue, they had a bus every day, and someone came and took, like being at school, they took the register um, to check everyone was on the bus. You went to the venue, the English Institute of Sport. Your meals were were, were bussed in later on, and usually there was a mix-up, and you know it, it was chaos really. But but it was strictly controlled, and you know successful in, in what it was trying to achieve. But the point is. It was in Sheffield. They could have played it in Milton Keynes. They didn't. I'm pretty sure that's because it's contractual. So everything you say makes sense, except for the fact that it seems that it's the contract. It's got to be in Sheffield. Uh, Jennifer continues, I agree YouTube needs to be used more. I would like to see more technical analysis on YouTube. Maybe Eurosport could put the touchscreen analysis sections on YouTube or the jargon busters that Alan McManus did a couple of years ago. As someone who's never played the game seriously, that kind of content brings the game alive for me, but I usually have to re-watch it to fully understand. 
continuing, Jennifer says, this one might be a bit of a stretch, even for a man of your influence, but ITVX really needs an option to rewind on the live coverage. And uh, she says, finally, please, please, please do another A to Z of snooker. To cut back on your work, get the listeners to suggest the topics. I could go on, but that's enough for now. Thanks for reading. Enjoy the season ahead. Well, thank you for writing in. And the A to Z of snooker, we did, uh, it took a while to, to complete, as I recall, um, to get through the alphabet, but uh, we may revisit that. Uh, yes, we, we, we may. I can't, can't promise anything, but uh, I'll look into it. <clears throat> Tim Southern, LTL. I think that means long-time listener. And second-time emailer here. Very happy to have your podcast back for the season and really enjoyed the summer specials. Regarding your upcoming fan special, I thought I would add a thought to the point you made on last week's episode regarding what Will Snooker talk and improve for fans. You alluded to being on the train and seeing many people flicking through various sports clips on their phones, catching up on bite-sized videos of the previous day's highlights or on their journey. It seems such a simple fix for this would be to upgrade the truly awful WST app. Of all these sports apps available now, and there are many, it is easily the most clunky, badly presented and unusable app of any sport. The links often don't work, the scores, update up, the scores don't update quick enough, and the score detail available isn't detailed enough for most fans. Yes, the website is marginally better and tends to be live scoring, but even that's limited. Also, apps are obviously more convenient than web pages. The tech is there nowadays for a much better product. Taking golf as an example, the apps for all events are phenomenal, instant scoring, detailed information, player profiles, and most important, present trusted information. The leader of these is the Masters app, which has live shot highlights for every player on every hole on every day of the tournament. I'm sure apps like these are expensive to have made and managed, but the tech is there, and so much more than what they currently provide is available. Even the beer moth that is the BBC website has live commentary with simple short shot wicket highlights in for the cricket matches. Other snooker scoring websites exist and are live, trusted and miles ahead of where WSTR and it's their sport. It's almost embarrassing that others are doing better than the owning, managing company themselves. I'll just jump in there to say um, snooker.org deserve a mention here. I think now it's, well, I'm pretty sure it's snooker's longest running website, basically best part of 30 years. Uh, Herman there in Norway and, and he has a team of people who update the scores. The Championship League began and the World Snooker Tour new live scoring system is a completely different company um, you know that we're taking over this season it didn't seem to work um, for the public on the inter- looking on the internet on the website for a good few days so it was very hard to follow uh, the scores but snooker.org were updating frame by frame and uh, that's their, to their credit in terms of the World Snooker Tour app I've said before and I'll say again it's never been any good but apparently we're told it is going to be completely overhauled the website's going to be overhauled, and in a few weeks, few months, whenever it is, by the end of the year, it'll all look different. Now we can only judge it on, you know, when we see it. We can't say anything um, now. I can't see how it could be any worse than the one now. Um, on your point about sort of clips and so on, I mean that is tied in, I guess, to the broadcasting contracts. It may, I mean, it may be that on the app they can't actually show shots during um, during live play because there's certain stipulations from the broadcasters. But they can, I can assure you, do a shots of the day thing at the end of the day. They just don't do it. Um, there's a lot more they could do for commuters, actually. I'm specifically targeting someone who's going to work on a train, on a bus, 8 o'clock in the morning. They're bored. They just want to watch some content. Give them 10 minutes of the previous day, shots of that are played, most interesting sound bites, a preview of the next day. So that when they get home from work, 
they might put the snooker on. You know, that, that, <laughs> that's a way of just advertising what's going on. Uh, we're not done yet from Tim. You mentioned that the digital media team at World Snooker Tour has some good income. Where is that money going? I seem to remember you mentioning last season that a new team's in place at WST and upgrades are coming. However, the season is upon us and nothing has changed. Where is the marketing build-up? Where is the exciting developments coming soon, Banners? Come on, WST, do better. Here's to a great season. Well, Tim, um, they make money through obviously through their videos. Where the money goes, it goes into the company. And it's a bit mysterious exactly you know exactly where it's distributed whether it's just generally my argument has been and this i think this would help the guys in the media team whatever they make for the company they should get 10 percent of it back to reinvest in their work so if they make half a million they get 50 grand back that year they can employ someone else they can spend it on better content and then next year they might make 800 grand for the company and they get 80 grand back and so on and so on you're incentivizing them but you're also helping them build the content at the moment what is the real incentive to increase the, the revenue other than, you know, you want to do your job? What is the incentive? And, and, and I think the way to build that content is definitely to reinvest specifically from the money you, you earn into that department. Because the fact is there aren't many of them, you know, and they, they, they could do with some more bodies, I think, to keep generating the content that people need to see to keep across the sport. Um, I can't believe they've done nothing with Luca Purcell. You know, he won the World Championship two months ago and it was a massive story and brilliant for snooker and we've heard nothing about him since and yet he's bought a Ferrari, you know, go over to Belgium, go back to his old snooker club, to his old school, to, you know, the pub he first had a drink in, showing people coming up to him, congratulating him, telling his story, get him in his Ferrari, it's, it's aspirational, you know, people would love to see that stuff. We've heard nothing from the World Champion in the two months since he won the tournament. I... I and whether that's a cost thing, going over to Belgium and spending a week there will cost money. But as I say, if you reinvest the money you've earned, and this is a decision that has to be taken at the board level, obviously, but if they if they sort of unlock that, that would be a massive influx of money and therefore the content could improve. And a lot of the points people are making, you know, could be potentially solved. John writes, Hope you're well. I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast since I first discovered it at the start of the year and are caught up with dozens of back episodes, which has made the mundane household tasks far more enjoyable this year, i.e. cooking, cleaning, tidying up, etc. I would consider myself to be a lifelong, somewhat obsessive snooker fan, having a reputation as a child for never going out to play with friends whilst the snooker was on TV. I've attended the Crucible most years for the last 25 years, and in recent years have attended more events, including the Masters, UK Championships and the English Open, as my parents live local to Brentwood. It, I was fortunate to attend the final again this year with my dad and witness Selby's 147, which is a moment I will never, ever forget. I felt it my duty to write in to give something back to you, as you're often asking for listeners' emails and their views of the game, particularly for the next episode coming up. Your podcast has deepened my understanding of the game, how it's run, the players and all the tournaments. My best recommendation to improve the game that I've not yet heard is around the Players Series, which I understand is the World Grand Prix, Players Championship and Tour Championship. For the casual viewer, I think the three event names are confusing, and without having explained to them or going on Wikipedia to do some research, you wouldn't link them all together and understand what they are and their prestige. I would suggest the following amendment to make it much more simple to understand. Okay, so he's listed here, he's got the Players Series. So these are the names of the tournaments. Players Championship Top 32, Players Championship Top 16, Players Championship Top 8. 
although I understand this number is being expanded for the season ahead. It is indeed, it'll be up to 12. He says, these names are much clearer, and still when I hear the names of the three tournaments, I have to look up to check which one features the top 32, the 16 and the 8. Out of interest, do you know where the names of these three tournaments came from? I also think there should be a narrative in the season along the lines of the race to the Crucible to make more of the importance of getting into the top 16. So I think I'll save that idea for another email. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed reading this. Keep up the great work, and I'll be sure to write in again. Well, thank you, John. Um, the, the names of the tournaments, I mean, I think the, the sort of concept for the uh, player series has come from golf, hasn't it? You know, they have, in golf, it's, I think it's the FedEx series, and the, the, the field narrows down and the money goes up. Um, my, my problem, I can understand what you're saying. It, it, you know, not everybody kind of... The, the problem with these events is that they're spread out across the season. There's events in between, and they're also relatively new. So that player series is still establishing itself. It would be easier to establish itself if we didn't keep moving venues, by the way, but that's just maybe a separate issue. But the problem we're calling... I mean, essentially, the tournament's got the same name. Players' Championship, top 32. Players' Championship, top 16. Players' Championship, top 8. I think that's more confusing, personally, because you've only got to miss off the number and, <laughs> you know, you don't know which Players' Championship it is. So I just think that would lead to confusion. I do feel you're right in saying that maybe more work needs to be done to exactly clarify what the player series is. But the problem is there's, so, there's now so many kind of lists and races. You mentioned the race to the Crucible. You've got the race to the Masters. You've got the Bet Victor European Series list. There's all these different lists, and the player series is, is another one. And unless you're the sort of geek, if I can put it that way, who follows these things closely, probably listens to this podcast. You know, it's quite hard for casual people to keep across it. Um, but as I say, the more these, this series continues and establishes itself, maybe the easier it will become. But I don't, I'm not sure calling the, essentially giving the events the same name is quite going to be the solution, to be honest. Um, anyway, I'm sure other people will let us know what they think. Mark and John write, you asked if there was a tournament we wouldn't go to and why. For us, it would have to be the Masters. We've actually been for 10 years running. And while it looks great on TV and the quality of snooker is always fantastic, we feel let down as audience spectators and haven't booked for this January. The biggest problem is lack of toilets. For 2,000 people, it just isn't adequate, and, and in a 15-minute break, it's barely possible to go, let alone do anything else. The last couple of years have been queues of men using the trees to the right of the main entrance. For a tournament so big, a row of portaloos doesn't seem much to expect, and knowing the, venue, knowing the venue well, we know there are toilets that aren't even open. On top of this, the seats are uncomfortable. No cushions and no legroom for a six-footer since they crammed in more seats. The people on the sofas are served drinks during the frames, which is completely unnecessary and distracting. And the refreshments are too few with massive queues. Disappointing for us, as the Masters is our local venue. Again, we hear there about the seats. Uh, I've heard this a lot about the seats. And, you know, one thing I suppose people would say, um, sort of counter to this, is it always seems to be full there. So clearly... A lot of people do enjoy it, but anyway, um, we continue. Mark and John write, An idea to improve spectator experience for all tournaments is an official meet and greet with a professional or pundit. This could be free, charged with the tickets, or available to choose and pay on the day. We've been lucky enough to meet many players, but rarely officially. People would be pleased with their photograph or autograph, or possibly post it on social media, which is free advertising for the event. Everyone loves a selfie with a celebrity, and the advertising benefits alone would make this worthwhile. But what a lovely addition it would be to the experience of attending live snooker. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, we had, uh, not quite this, but I, I often think, sort of, when you have the two-session finals, 
there can sometimes be three hours between sessions. And quite often, particularly in venues that are not in city centres, there ain't that much to do, really. There's nothing really put on for the fans. You have to make your own entertainment in that time. But at the British Open last year, um, there was a, the first semi-final ran short, and Stephen Hendry and Ken Doherty did an exhibition for the audience, which was really well appreciated. Things like that, getting the old pros. You know, there's so many big characters who commentate and are around snooker, who people will know and remember and like and are really good with the public. By all means, get them to do an exhibition or do a Q&A or a meet and greet, pose for photographs, whatever it is. You can use those guys um, in that way, I think. And a lot of them are so there anyway. You'd have to pay them. But, you know, that, that's if you're maybe charging a bit more for the ticket or a bit more for the... Again, we're talking about some people, fans who are prepared to pay a little bit more. You'd make money back, surely. So it's something to consider anyway. Um, so that's essentially it for... Um, the sort of feedback we've had from fans. I think overall, you know, there's, there's different issues here. Tickets um, can seem expensive for the really big events. They're also really good value, I think, for, for example, the first day of the Home Nations. If you have an all-day ticket there, see the whole of the top 16, you know, for like 30 quid, that's really good value. So there are um, two sides of that, I think. We've heard about seating, not to everyone's taste. Merchandise is certainly something that um, I don't think anyone really thinks is good enough. General information could be better. Um, there should be more of a an effort made to sell the experience of going somewhere to watch snooker and include that place rather than just please come and watch our snooker. Tell people about what else they can do. Um, and constant sort of during events, constant... Um, information and promotion to, to tell people what's been happening and what will be happening. All these things could could potentially be improved a little. Um, but I was I thought it was refreshing because this is not Twitter. This is real people emailing in thoughtful comments. I thought it was refreshing that there were not massive complaints. There are areas people feel can improve. But it seems that there isn't a general kind of downer on the whole experience of going to snooker. I think... As with any sport, if you ask football fans, cricket, rugby union, tennis, whatever, they would all come up with ideas to improve the experience. And that's all this is. It's just a constructive um, set of comments designed, hopefully, to be fed back, that people can listen to, maybe take on board. If you look at what happened in York, that was definitely a case that, that Will Snooker Tour listened to what people wanted and acted on it. And I think everyone agreed the spectator experience at the UK Championship this uh, uh, last season, and I'm sure it'll be the same this season, was really good. Um, so, you know, th things can improve, and I'm sure uh, you know, people listening to this will will think about it. Now, before we go, we have some any other business. Uh, last week, uh, we had a correspondent, I think his name was Mark Williams, but not that one, uh, talking about hobbies of snooker fans, and uh, hovercrafts are involved, I seem to recall. Anyway, Adam Fisher writes in, in response to your listener last week, I can let you know that besides watching snooker, my next favourite sport to watch is competitive Tetris. Competitive Tetris. Absolutely riveting stuff, he says. Check out the World Championship sometime. Give it a YouTube search. It's really great viewing. Uh, it, sorry, it really is great viewing, complemented by some professional commentary. I got into this during lockdown, and after picking up a Nintendo Switch, I fancy myself as a decent player now. Anyone else for a game of Tetris? Thank you, Adam. Uh, <laughs> anyone else with uh, interesting hobbies, let us know. Uh, Errol Wynne-Jones 
writes, On Sunday the 25th of June, World Snooker Tour issued information on a temporary live scoring centre until their new website was up and running. I thought, great, that's something. At the time of writing, Wednesday the 28th, there's nothing. And it's fair enough, everyone has problems at times. However, just to not address the issue with a statement and explain the situation, we as fans got nothing from them. I find that dismissive of us and showing contempt for us snooker fans. A lot of work needs to improve on public relations going forward. Uh, yes, the, well, this was the live scoring. Uh, it took a t- bit of time to get up and running and it was a bit erratic, I think it's fair to say. I'll say this because I was at the Championship League. Um, thank God for Paul Collier. Uh, Paul Collier was the tournament director. Of course, a lot of people know him as a referee. Does a lot of work behind the scenes. And he has so many plates to keep spinning. But the great sort of advantage he has is that everyone respects him. So when there are problems on site or off site, He's doing his best to fix them. He's not up to him to fix the scoring system. That's a technical thing. But he has a lot of insight into the issues around it. I mean, one day he spotted that names were the wrong way around and sorted them out. And I tell you what, it will be a lot worse without people like him, the guys on the tournament circuit who've been doing it years. They know what they're doing. In terms of the... the yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're going to put a statement up to say that the scores are going to be working and they don't, it's not good enough to just leave that. You have to update people, just say, look, guys, sorry, it's a new system. We're working round the clock to get it ready for you. Apologies. You know, all that stuff goes a long way, I think. Um, so I, I don't disagree with that. But hopefully now um, the scoring system will settle down. I'm told, it, you know, there's a lot of good information on there once it's actually sort of properly set up. So hopefully, certainly by the sort of qualifiers, which will be the next new craft of the Championship League, it will be uh, an easier sort of uh, thing to follow. Uh, Louise from London. Hello, Dave. This is my first ever message to you. I've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years. I've listened to the back catalogue too. I wanted to say how much I enjoyed your latest episode, the conversation with the three snooker book authors. Well, this was... uh, Thank you, Louise. This was uh, Brendan Cooper, Luke G. Williams, and John Skilbeck. And uh, you can go back and listen to that, and they they talk about their their, uh, new books. I also enjoyed on YouTube... This is Louise again. I also enjoyed on YouTube your chat with Rob Walker during his Absent Friends fundraiser. I want to say well done to Rob. Well, absolutely, Louise. I mean, Rob has now earned, now earned uh, for the charities over 57000 I just checked it before I came on. So that's an extraordinary uh, effort. Extraordinary effort. And um, hopefully he's having a well-deserved rest. She said, I have a question not related to either of my previous comments. I've read recent news stories saying the Chinese Billiards and Snooker Association have increased the bans for some of their players. Uh, does this mean... Those particular players can play in other countries when the WPSA ban ends, but they can't play in China until the CBSA ban ends. Now it's past the 20th of June, do we know if any of the players have appealed their bans? I'm pretty sure none of them have, have appealed their bans. WPSA, um, they obviously commissioned the uh, hearing, which was independent of them. They asked for certain sanctions and they weren't necessarily give them all. Then the CBSA came in and extended the bans. Uh, the WPSA official line on this, okay, so this is from the WPSA in terms of the CBSA bans. They say players who compete in recognised tour qualifying events and or on the World Snooker Tour are required to be in good standing with their national federation. The CBSA suspension may preclude a player from being in good standing. So I don't think you necessarily, it's not reading between the lines there to say that the, the, um, the fact that the CBSA have extended the bans of these players is not going to help them get back on to the World Snooker Tour. It suggests that they're they're effectively now banned for the, for the period that the CBSA have set rather than the initial inquiry. Um, so, you know, it's going to be... 
a while before we see any of them, I think. Now, we, we end with um, Jack and then Sam on the same subject, which is the Championship League. Uh, Jack says it was stated on both the World Snooker Tour and Championship League website that you, if you live in the UK or Ireland or a territory that doesn't have a broadcaster, you could watch on Matchroom Live or Viaplay. But I don't have Sky or Virgin, so Viaplay is not a free channel for me, so I paid £6 and subscribed to Matchroom Live on Monday morning as both tables were displayed on the homepage. It got to 12pm and day one coverage of both tables had disappeared from the website. 40 minutes later, table two coverage came up, which also turned out to be on YouTube for free, which wasn't stated on the How to Watch page. A couple of hours later, table one coverage for all days of the tournament had gone, and they wanted me to pay another £15 for a month's subscription to Viaplay, which I would have been happy to do um, if I'd known that table two would be on YouTube. But I'd already paid for a service that two hours before play began stated I could watch both tables. I don't have a problem with paying to watch sport as I subscribe to a few different streaming services, but I'm not going to pay for two subscriptions when it was their mistake in the first place. I also saw someone on Twitter saying they couldn't watch in Germany um, how, how it was originally listed, so it's not just a problem over here. On top of that, the WST live scoring is even worse than before, as there was, and I write this... As, as I write this, there is no live scores to follow at all. And all may, all may worse by the fact there's not been one score update on both the CLS or WST social media platforms or websites and on Facebook. There hasn't been one post about anything to do with the tournament since it began, which is all appalling. It's not like there hasn't been some time to sort out the live scoring either, as there's been an eight-week break. It's essentially being left to fans of the sport, who run snooker.org, who do a great job, by the way, to keep other fans updated on scores and breaks and matches, which is an embarrassment to World Snooker Tour. I know they're updating the website and app, but to have no live scores to follow at all is like going back in time. I know this probably won't get read out as it's quite long and neither positive nor constructive, as you asked for in the last episode. But I'm not always negative about everything in snooker, as I think there are some good things that WST do. And I'm not trying to bash the Championship League, as I actually quite like the tournament. But I do think that if things want to grow and reach a new audience, then they have to use social media a lot more and post more than they do, particularly at this tournament. Well, there's two points there. Uh, thank you, Jack. Firstly, the... The business with uh, Matchroom Live, it's quite wrong if you've been asked to pay for something that then did not materialise. Um, I don't know whether you've tried to get the money back. I mean, it's, it's easy to say it's only six quid, but it's six quid you could have spent on something else. So clearly that's not right. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's just not right. <laughs> Simple as that. In the case of the, the scoring, I mean, we've sort of talked about this already. What I would say about this, it's a Matchroom event, this, um, but it's still the World Snooker Tour. So they should really work together on this. Um the Matchroom team, in terms of social media, they were in Spain. You're really referring here to the to the first uh, sort of week of the tournament because that's when your email came in. Um, they were in Spain for the nine ball pool, so the whole team was out there. And obviously, they can't be in two places at once. Um, but yeah, if you're asking fans to follow tournaments, then <laughs> you know you should make it more easy for them. I guess is, is the point you're making, and I, I completely understand that. And finally, Sam writes, and this is on the same subject. Hope you're well enjoying the podcast as always. Uh, thank you, Sam. He said, I thought I'd send a quick email to help those in the UK who may be struggling to watch the Championship League. As you mentioned last week, it's on Viaplay Extra, which can be viewed through Sky or Virgin. However, for those who don't subscribe to one of those providers, Viaplay has an Amazon Prime channel. It isn't included as part of the standard Prime video subscription. It costs an extra fourteen ninety nine a month for the Viaplay Sports Package. However, for nerds like me, dare I say us, who look forward to the Championship League, it may be worth it. It does show Table 1 with commentary, something which is apparently unavailable through Matchroom Live. Perhaps most people are already aware of this, but I only found out today, so if it helps just one person, it was worth sending. 
well thank you for that and uh <clears throat> hopefully that will help people um yeah i mean there's so many different packages and it seems everyone has a different you know way of watching stuff so i mean i have sky at home and that via play extra channel which i don't think anyone's necessarily seen before but it's channel 420 on the sky platform for what it's worth but i know not everyone has that um and there'll be people listening outside britain who obviously have different packages i was talking to someone the other day uh about accessing coverage in various parts of the world and it's not as straightforward as maybe it should be um but hopefully uh if people are watching then they're enjoying it um so that's it. Thanks for everyone who emailed in. Um, we're going to take a break uh, for who knows how long now before we, we sort of start. I keep saying we. I mean me, really. Uh, uh, before I start the more regular podcasts. Um, but in the meantime, I've, I've actually appeared on another podcast, um, which uh, Shabnam does for the BBC. Uh, it's called Framed. It's out every Monday. And as far as I'm aware, it will be out this Monday, July the 10th. Uh, I great pleasure to be on it it's very professionally produced uh, people will be saying unlike this one <laughs> but it's, she does it every week and she's interviewed lots of different players she's a great fan of the sport she works for BBC Radio and we had a good old chat so you can listen to that it's our BBC Framed podcast and I talk about my career and some thoughts about the game on there uh, in the meantime if you want to get in touch you can do so snookerscenepodcast at mail.com that's snookerscenepodcast at mail.com uh and that's it. There's going to be snook on Christmas Day. <laughs> um, players who complain about the calendar suddenly don't mind going to Macau, it seems, on for Christmas because there's a lot of money involved. And good luck to them. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not sanctioned. It won't be on TV. But uh, there's going to be people going there. Uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Mark Williams, Karen Wilson, Judd Trump, Jack Lazowski, I think Marco Fu, uh, and a couple of others as well are going to be playing that tournament so you know good luck to them it's uh, going to be a nice payday and then a different sort of Christmas um, but uh, in terms of the sort of, sort of season ahead um, I keep hearing how busy it is it's busier I think but we're only actually up one ranking event if you look at it because we lost the Turkish Masters stroke WST Classic um, we've gained two ranking events in China so that's a net gain of one. However, the Shanghai Masters is back. Obviously, that's only for the top players. But, you know, that's a welcome return of a big tournament in a, in a big city. And hopefully by the end of the season, there may be a couple more events. You know, we don't know there's a big gap in March. I know that they're working hard with China to try and get more on there in the future. So I think things are on the up, and that's good. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to the season. Why wouldn't I be? You know, it's another... It's another exciting sort of campaign ahead of us, and hopefully everyone will enjoy it. I'm just rambling now, so I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up. Uh, and as we always say, and we'll keep saying it because it's the only catchphrase we're ever going to have. Goodbye, bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. 
you know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over a 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.